You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You've been out of this game as far as being a GM or player for a long time. But when you sit down and watch a Game 7 in the Stanley Cup playoffs, how nervous do you still get to this day? You know, it's funny. Even though I have no attachment to any of the teams, if I do personally root for one team, then I get nervous during the game. And that happened last night during the Colorado Sharks game because I wanted Colorado to win because I want to watch that McKinnon more. I just love the way he plays and they and they got so many good young players in front to watch. So I just thought it'd be exciting to see them move on. And so I got very, very involved to a point where I started reverting back to my OCD, like change channels to change what's happening <laughs> and stuff like that. And just you know, it's, it's crazy, it's crazy. But. Uh, that's that's what makes the game so much fun because people get so passionate about it. There is, I, I really believe this. I don't think there is a better um, event in sports though than a game seven in the Stanley Cup playoffs, Lou. I ju- I just the because it's so fun to watch. But two nights ago, I'm watching the uh, Stars Blues game, and. It's great to watch and it's fantastic, but and I don't care about these teams. It was pure torture too. <laughs> so it's just I, the damnedest yeah. thing. I think you're right. The, the game sevens are a unique experience, and, and, and especially when you go to overtime. On top of that, it just uh, it's it, it's just so much fun, so interesting, uh, so overwhelming that uh, even the casual fan seems to get passionate about the game itself or <clears throat> have a feeling towards one team or the other and takes them to a different level. What's the psychology as a player? So if you're playing in, in that game, is it not as bad because at least in that situation you feel you can have some control of it? Well, it's not as bad as the fans sitting there, but it, 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 trust me, it, it's you got butterflies all over the place until the game starts, and when the game starts, you get involved in a game. But when you go in between periods and stop, and you're thinking of the enormity of it, you can't help it, and you're trying to visualize ways you can win the game and and be part of the winning. Uh, you know, sure. goal. It's it's something you just can't help because it. It, it it gives you such a different feeling, you know. I, I still remember losing Game Seven in overtime to St. Louis Blues, and uh, I remember the goal. I see it like I I saw it. Kevin O'Shea coming down over the blue line and takes a shot that hit the pipe. It hit Caesar Maniago in the back and went in the net. And all I can remember from that point on was just almost like a. a, a a surreal feeling like you you're in a different area and a different time zone and wow. everything just seems gone it's it just it's just all of a sudden just blah and and you're thinking oh my god it's all over it's all over yeah and and you can't come to grips with it uh, the suddenness of how it ended uh, the uniqueness of how it ended and the fact that it ended and i just 
to this day, remember my feeling, the time, the the situation. Remember going over to the decathlon club with our wives after, and just sitting around in a, in a very somber, quiet place, and and not really wanting to be there in, in that in that time because you knew that it was over and you, you were hoping to move on. Don't blame you too. I, I would not want yeah. to go have a beer after that. Well, I might, but probably by myself or something, you know, not with uh, a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. It just, well, you know, we were all in it together and, and just the fact that we we're sitting there and it was just, we we're sitting there having something to eat, have a drink, look at each other, hardly say much, just sit there. Yeah. It, uh, it, it's, it's a, Different feeling. So how long did it take, not the feeling to pass, because it's clear from what you're saying that the feeling doesn't really pass, but for that That's haze, just gonna tell how, you, how, how long, how long is that haze? About, uh, still telling you how sick I felt. Yeah, but how, how long <laughs> is, is that haze there where you just feel like, like you said, you're in a different area code, different time zone, all those weird things? Well, then you're watching the other games, and then you watch St. Louis move on, you watch them play, and and, and you, you know... Uh, it should have been you, and and uh, and we we played well, and we should have won the game. It's it just it's just one of those fluky type things. It just uh, you you you're, you relate back to it every game you're watching during the playoffs because you're thinking that could be us, we could be there, and and it just it's something that uh, you accept and go on, but you you really don't feel very good about it. Where does uh, Ben Bishop's performance in that game seven a couple nights ago in the Dallas-St. Louis series rank? Because he was absolutely off the charts. Well, you know, when when I go back to it, I've been around the National Hockey League for 50 years, and, and uh, I've seen so much that I, I can't say this off the charts stands alone. Mm-hmm. But this surely is in those that stand alone. It was a remarkable performance. And, and in the overtime, he said to my wife, says, boy, I, I got to tell you right now, I, I think Dallas might win this only because this guy won't give up anything. And I, I said, and I start reciting to her the old games. I said, you know, we could be here like Detroit was when beat Palangelo scored. And I think that was in 42, 43. And I, I, I was like four or five overtimes. And then Pat LaFontaine, that I, I was staying up to watch when he scored against Washington. And that was four or five overtimes, whatever. I said, I, she says, I'm going to bed. I said, well, I might be here all night because this thing doesn't look like it's going to end. I thought the same thing, and I I had the same thought. I, I thought Dallas is going to score an OT and win this doggone thing because that's the sport. I thought the same exact thing. Yeah, yeah, and and so you know, and and the funny part about it when I was talking about uh, the Washington Islander game and in, in Detroit and Toronto game, it was that it was like moments before within a minute to two minutes of when Maroon scored to win the game for St. Louis. So I was happy that the game was over. I didn't have to uh, stay up all night. Oh, it came that quick, huh? Okay, that's very good. Then. Yeah. 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 When you saw that goal, and obviously that goal was scored by the Blues, Louis, uh, how much, though, did that bring back the last time that these two franchises actually played in a Game 7 in OT, which would go back to the spring of 84 when uh, Payne beat Liute in Game 7 of the first OT in what was the second round at that time uh, to take out the Blues and you guys advanced to play Edmonton? Well, I uh, 
I was thinking more, I, you know, you think of that game, but I was going back more to when we lost because I was actually playing rather than managing the team. And, and, and we were on the wrong side of it. So it brought me back to the losing part of when we lost that time in Game 7 uh, overtime rather than when we won in Game 7 overtime. That winning in Game 7 overtime, I just remember the elation I had, how, how excited I was. I was just... You know, you know, uh, it was like euphoria. I, I, I just and and I and we deserved to win that game. We played well enough. We should have won. You were a good game, team. Uh, yeah, and it was, uh, but it was a great series. And uh, you know, Payne came through for us so many times. He was such a uh, unique scorer, a quality scorer in the playoffs. He did it so many times that. It come to the point where we'd expect that if we're going to win this game, Payne's got to score. Even though we had Cicerelli, it seemed like Payne seemed to be uh, scoring goals at times like that uh, more than anybody I can recall. Give me your theory about guys like Steve, too, because there are guys who are certainly good players and have great or good careers, Lou, but there you know, comes a time when that select group of guys in the playoffs absolutely steps up and is uh, and makes a difference. What do you think is the difference in how those guys are wired or that success when in that time of year, the springtime, they can be so effective? It's a funny thing because when you look at Payne and, and also Cicerelli because they both did so much scoring in the playoffs, but uh, you look at him and, and, and Payne uh, – Maybe because of his size, he was so big and strong, and 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 in those games, they're they're physical games, so they're usually wearing. If you watch the teams play now, you, you see the kind of pace they're going at, the the kind of contact you have in a game, and what you don't realize if you haven't played the game is how much that takes out of you during the game when the constant hitting and being hit, and and Steve, I I think really benefited by his strength and his size because he he was so big and strong and late in the game he still had uh, the ability to to find an opening and and he had such a hard shot and and an accurate shot that when he got a chance he made it count and Dino uh, was another guy that in front of the net because he'd find ways it was almost like the puck used to come to him rather than him go to the puck and and he'd find ways to to put that away when, when you got that kind of ability, uh, and they're on your team, mm-hmm. when things are getting tight, I got you know guys like me. We're sitting there, not only hoping it's going to happen that they're one of those two guys is going to get a goal, but expecting it to happen. And and it, 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 it was that way because we've seen it often, and then you you almost get like a, a, a feeling that. Uh, deja vu. I've seen this before. It's going to happen again. This is nothing to be concerned about because uh, it's going to happen again like it did in the past. Steve Payne, Lou, 71 career uh, playoff games over six playoff appearances uh, with the North Stars, 35 goals and 70 points. I mean, are you kidding me? Se- those, 17 those in the are, cup run. I mean, those numbers are unbelievable. I know. Those he- numbers. See, you're, you're not talking about five games and 10 games and 15 games. You're talking over almost a season's worth of hockey games of playoffs. We had a lot of playoff games. I think we had 76 playoff games in the first seven years after after uh, I became general manager and Sonmar was coach. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of playoff games. And, yes. And when you 
perform at that level for that many playoff games, that, that's, that's very unique. He played in, in your uh, run to the Cup uh, Finals in 81, Lou. He played in 19 games, had 17 goals and 29 points. And, and all that, that people like me recall from that spring is Dino. But 17 goals and 29 points for Steve Payne, to your point, is absolutely off the charts. Well, yeah, and, and you know, that's why, I, okay, well, Payne was one of the guys that for some reason, and, and maybe it's because of what you're just reciting, the, the kind of production he had in the playoffs. During the season, uh, expectations were over and above and beyond almost unreasonable of what people want him to do. And if he didn't do it, they'd get on him. I mean, he was one of the guys I used to have some of the press used to give hell to about his production during the year, always playing. I constantly had people, uh, you know, talking, well, why doesn't he trade Payne? I said, what are you looking at? <laughs> why would I trade Steve Payne? Yep. <laughs> you know, I, but, but because he was so productive at crucial times, I think people just expected this kind of thing to happen every game, every every time he's out there, and 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 uh, and it was frustrating to them to watch that he didn't do it, yep. or uh, he was so big and strong that he wasn't plowing people over like bowling balls on the way to get into the net all the time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it's 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 funny that that they would think about that when you. When you just talk about what you're talking about, huh? what kind of results we got from him? I didn't recall that though. Uh, I, so you're right. I, I never really looked at how many goals, how many points. All I knew is how, how well you playing, what I expected, and I, I might have somehow, some way, something might have come up, but I don't recall ever, ever talking about a deal for Steam Pay with somebody else. I never talked about Cicerelli with somebody else. Yep, and I never talked about Broughton with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I can never and, and Hartsburg. Those are four guys that I recall. I I don't remember ever saying, uh, "Do you have any interest in this guy?" And, and would Smith have been the fifth if he hadn't come to you and asked for a trade? Yeah, Smith would have been the fifth because I, you know, I never wanted to trade him. Right, but that was his choice. But uh, those and I trade a lot of guys, as you know. I mean, I've. We've talked I don't about know it. How many deals. I made over a hundred deals, but I and never those guys never came up. I, I obviously, obviously, I had numerous guys call about them because you always try and make a deal for somebody like that. I mean, I I called about Gretzky for crying out loud. You know, I mean, you got to tell that story again too. By the way, what's that? Call about Gretzky. You you call him uh, slats about Wayne. So you so would 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 you just call him like once a year just for just for fun just to see what the tone was? No, no. We always Glenn and I are very close mm-hmm. and 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 very competitive. Mm-hmm. And we played together, roomed together, and we stayed very close friends forever. But I had Bobby Smith and he had Gretzky. And I can't tell you how many times we says. You think you should make a trade? You want to trade your guy for my guy or my guy for your guy? Now, you got to remember, this is the beginning of Gretzky's career, right? Yes. I mean, Gretzky's 18, Bobby's, uh, Bobby's uh, 20, and and they both start out with outlandish numbers the first year or two of theirs. 
So that, that's the only time, you know, you know, you want to trade Smith? I said, you want to trade Gretzky? <laughs> that's, that's how it would go, you know. But it wouldn't go very far. No, I'm sure it wouldn't go very far. <laughs> so, Lou, when, when Wayne was in the World Hockey Association, did you, um, how, how did that come up that he uh, was basically then bought, I believe, from Indianapolis by the Oilers? Was that, was that something where there were a few teams bidding at that time? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I take over the North Stars, and Glenn takes over Edmonton. In 1977, if you go back and look at the papers, Glenn was playing for us, and and uh, and the North Stars cut him loose. And on his way out of town, the I can't remember which reporter re, uh, asked him, "What are the North Stars? Because we missed the playoffs. What do the North Stars have to do to get better?" And Glenn says, "The best thing they could do is make Lou, uh, Lou Nanny general manager and me coach. We'd straighten this thing out." And that's when he left town. So the next year is '78. Yeah. Now he's he's in Edmonton. They make him coach, and 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 during the year, then they make him general manager. I'm playing. They make me general manager coach. Okay. So so when that happens, I I'm going around besides being manager coach. I want to see what we have as assets, and we owned Semenko, uh, and we owned uh, uh, the goaltender. Eddie Meal. Okay. So Indianapolis is playing a game in uh, in Indianapolis, and I forget who they were playing. So I fly there to watch Eddie Meal, who's the goaltender. And and uh, Wayne Wayne Gretzky is playing for Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Glenn comes to the game, and I said, "What are you doing here?" He says, "Well, my owners." Uh, I got an opportunity to get Gretzky from Indianapolis because uh, Scalbania owes him some money. I said, well, you're going to love this kid because he, he had never seen Wayne. I said, he played in Minnesota, my hometown. I saw him, uh, uh, well, this is the following year because I saw him in 78 when I took over. I took over and I went to watch a game in a suit to watch Bobby Smith playing the Sioux, and I watched the game, and it was Smith, Gretzky, and Hartsburg, and I thought, oh, my God. When I'm walking into the game, my cousin says to me, when you see Gretzky, you won't even, you won't recognize him during the game. The end of the night, he'll have three, four points as every time, and he's just a little kid. So I, I go to the game. Sure enough, the Sioux wins 3-2. Gretzky had had uh, two and one. Bobby Smith had uh, one and one. And one. Payne had uh, a goal or something, and Hartsburg was outstanding. So I'm leaving. I remember saying, "Well, I, I'm going to get Smith, uh, Smith, and I sure would like to get this pain in the Hartsburg, which I was able to do pain that year in the following year, uh, get the Hartsburg. So it was the following year, '79. Glenn's general manager, and and uh, and Gretzky's there, and I said, "You're going to love this kid." Wouldn't you know it? That was the first night that Gretzky ever got a hat trick in professional hockey. Really. So he says, oh, my God, you know, he says, i got to take this kid, which he does. But years later, when I'm general manager and we're flying home from Chicago from a board meeting, Edmonton had just won the cup, their first cup. And I'm sitting in, 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 in first class on the way home, and the guy uh, beside me was the, the owner of uh, Winnipeg, and he has about three Manhattans, basically in the first 
35 minutes. I said, what are you, what's going on? He says, the way I got to tell you a story. He said, you know, we all congratulate Edmonton. That's how you start off the board meeting after it was over. You'd always congratulate the Santa Cup winner and everybody's congratulating him. I said, yeah. He says, I had the first opportunity to get Gretzky before Scalbenia went to Pocklington. He owed me money too. I went to my general manager, Rudy Pillis. They, this is what the Winnipeg Jets, you see, before they came in early. Right. And he said, I uh, I got a chance to get Gretzky. Uh, Nelson owes me some money. I'll, I can take the player instead. And Pillis says, he'll never play in the NHL. So I turned it down. Oh. <laughs> so he got drunk on the way home. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't blame him. I hope he had about five Manhattans. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So was Gretzky, so, so were his rights available then, or was it? No, the owner owned him and needed some money. He was in right. a cash crunch. But like, if you guys so, had called, could could you have called and tried to buy him, or would that? Not no, have been no, possible? no, no. We're in the National League. They're in the WHA. Okay, okay. At, at that time, you have to go through the draft to get in the NHL. Gotcha. All right. So, so and, and Gretzky was underage to be drafted. He couldn't even be drafted at that point. The eighteen-year-old draft hadn't come yet. It was going to come at the end of the year. All right. All right. So that this was a, a within that league deal that could be uh, consummated by those teams at the time. Yes. Uh, Oh man, yeah, the Jets. That that might have had a little bit of an I- impact on on a franchise that you beat one night at the Met. I think by a score of like fifteen to two when you played the Jets. Yeah, so fifteen to two or sixteen three. Yeah, I remember I, that. I remember listening to Al that that night, and I don't think I've ever heard so many goals scored in, in a hockey game in my life. It was incredible. Wow, it was incredible. And the most incredible part is it could have been twenty. Oh yeah, and that was yeah. when you guys you guys were great back then. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys could score at will, and and that league at that time was was such a different animal as well as far as goal scoring goes. Which uh, which game uh, seven of the last two nights? Uh, Abs and Sharks played on Wednesday night. And obviously, the Stars and Blues on Tuesday night. Did you enjoy more? Is there well, one? I I enjoyed the the Blues in uh, Dallas more. First of all, because uh, Colorado lost, and I wasn't too happy about it. And and. Uh, I, I I just think that, that you know it went longer. There were more chances. There the goaltending both sides was terrific. And you, you know I don't know if it happened, but if you remember when uh, um, I think it was Heinz went around the net and tried to put it in, or maybe it was Jamie Ben in the overtime, and the, and the yes. goalie basically yep. made the save. And I I personally would like to see that thing stopped, slowed down to a stop to see where the puck ended up. Because I guarantee you, part of that puck was over the line. I'm not sure if the whole thing was over the line that happened so fast. Yep, I saw. I know exactly the play that you're talking about, and they they showed it to us a couple more times, but they didn't do what you just said, which surprised me. They didn't stop it, which I thought they would. Yeah, and they probably didn't stop it because maybe they don't want controversy. But but I'm not saying that it went in. I'm right. saying it could have gone in. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it was it was spectacular. It was a spectacular effort, and it was a spectacular save. And I, and I just like I, I I just like to see where did that puck finally get saved from, which was its last position. 
Yeah, because you're right, because Bennington did a really good job of dragging his leg out, but it was definitely, oh, yeah. it was behind that, his, his pad was behind that line. His pad was behind, right. Absolutely, so yes. When did he make contact with that puck, is what I'm saying. Did, did you know, Lou, I, I read this a couple weeks ago, I didn't realize Jordan B- Bennington not only began the season playing for the Blues Farm Club, I think in the AHL in San Antonio, but he was like the backup there, and this kid's got ice water in his veins. I know that was the most surprising thing because they tried everything to get straight away. Mm-hmm. They beat the Wild with Allen and who played terrific. And after that, after that season, he never really reached that level again of playing the Nets. And then they tried a couple other guys that didn't work out, and and they were dead, done, and gone when they finally started Bennington in January, early January. I mean, January second, they were last place of all thirty-one teams in the league. It's a long time now, Louie, but when you watch the Stars in a game like that, do you root for them? Are you ambivalent by this point? What's your your gut tell you now all these years after they obviously abandoned this state uh, and have turned into, at times, a very good franchise? Well, I usually root for them. Uh, in, in this case, uh, I, uh, I, was, I was torn because I had left Jackson was there and worked for me. Mm-hmm. And... And but Doug Armstrong also worked for us when I was president, and and uh, you know Armstrong is the general manager of St. Louis, and he's he's one of the nicest guys in the world. I, I like Jimmy Nilditz in in Dallas, but I really know Doug a lot more, and I spent a lot of time with him. His father was Linesman when I played, and they are they are among the nicest gentlemen you're ever going to see in the league. So I I was really really hoping that Doug would get some success and and uh and so I was feeling very strongly about like my wife says, Do we care about either of these teams? I said, Yeah. <laughs> I said, Normally I care about Dallas even though it's not us but I said, now I really care about St. Louis because I you know, I I spent some time with Doug. I love Doug. I think he's done a great job there and I just want to see him rewarded. Doug was your traveling secretary at one point, right? Something like that? Late 80s? Yeah, but, you know, he started, Bobby Clark brought him on when, when, uh, uh, when, when I think Bobby was general manager, and Bobby and Clark and Ganey, uh, you know, also knew Neil very well, and, and, and they respected Doug, and so Doug did a number of different things, but he, he was, uh, around and, and just was, he was just a tremendous guy, and, and it was good to see him, you know, He's been. He's done a great job. He's. I think he this year he signed a new five year contract, so they think extremely highly of him. But uh, when when they were having troubles in January, and you remember, yes, if you remember, you go back and before the season started. Remember, I said the one there were two teams that I thought were going to give the wild problems, you know, for playoffs and miss the playoffs. And I said that's because what St. Louis has done, what Dallas has done. Mm-hmm. And and I said, you know, that's why I think it, you know, the Wild are going to be in the bubble. It's going to be tough to make the playoffs. And and so I felt that way. And all of a sudden, here in January second, they're last in the league. So I was worried about him. I was worried about him maintaining his job. And I and I was hoping that they do better. Well, they've come to play like they should play. Oh, it's absolutely a remarkable story. Yeah. Well, they they were twenty. They, I'm sorry, they they were last in the league. And if I'm not mistaken, around that same date and time, Carolina was like twenty third. Carolina yeah, was, yeah. you know, not good too. Uh, your thoughts on the um, the 
Game seven last night, Avs, Sharks, Landon Skog offside call that they got on review because he was going off the ice and your just your thoughts. It's it's an odd play at best. It's an odd play, and I can't tell you how many times I watch a game and see guys change like that and wonder if a goal is scored or how the referees are going to call it. Yep. And, and, and like the guy coming on comes on onside, the guy going off is going off offside. And and I often wondered, it, it to me is a nothing play not affecting the play itself. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, I always wondered what it was going to be called. I was worried that something like that would happen, and it happened last night. And I was, you know, I, 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 wanted, I wanted it to be a goal. And I wanted it to be a goal because I think that it wasn't affecting the play that the the transition to another player was made, and that's the way it should have been, but it, it wasn't. But that's – so you just said to me the, the key thing, um, and that is if it doesn't affect the play, should it negate the play? I struggle with that one big time. Well, you know, if you if you go in soccer, when you call a penalty and the goal score, if it doesn't affect the play, it, the, the goal counts. Yeah, that was just that. That was odd. Now, so here's my my follow up question to that one, and this is a a global thing more so than that just one play. But and this might be from a guy who who certainly didn't play a lot of of the sport, but loves it. This might be a very simple thing, but I guess I have two questions off that that are spurred Lou by that play. One is he was going through the door, okay. The second thing is, I watch games, and the speed of the game now, and the more I watch games, I don't understand what, unless it's a goaltender, why guys use that door, because you often see guys get checked around that and sometimes go flying towards it. Is the door necessary to be used during the course of games? I would would personally prefer to see guys hop those boards, because one, it's quicker, and two, if the door doesn't open, if you get checked, you can't go into that door and potentially get hurt. Well, you're uh, you're making a case like Brian Burke has been uh, this year advocating <laughs> not being allowed to change through the door because some people keep the door open too long and there have been some serious injuries. Yes, and and then somebody said, uh, now I don't know if it was uh, what if Martin St. Louis was playing today or you and Johnny Goudreau. What do you do? Throw him over the board? <laughs> hey, just have him jump. <laughs> the boards are pretty high for him. They're they're uh, young, but Johnny's but, young, but. Pardon me? Oh, I, I said they can jump. They're young. They might yeah, fall yeah, I know, in. But they, somebody was saying it's too high for them to yeah, jump. No, that's good. But Gabriel <laughs> but took his no, time. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I I don't think it's going to happen. I'd be surprised if it happened because uh, the one thing you've got to be aware of, sometimes if you're jumping off the ice and the guy's jumping on the ice, you don't know what's coming on. There might be a couple guys changing until we have a collision. Okay. You know, trying to go over the boards. Okay. Didn't think of that one. Last thing, your, your predictions for the conference finals. We're going to have uh, Carolina and Boston, which is basically the Hartford Whalers and the Bruins in the Eastern Conference and the Blues and the Sharks in the West. Well, uh, I, I expect Boston to win... And uh, I want St. Louis to win, so I'm going to pick Boston and St. Louis. So that means it'll probably be Carolina and the Sharks in the finals. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. But and and the the incredible thing to me is the fact that the Blues went to the Stanley Cup Finals as an expansion team in that expansion division. What two or three consecutive years? Yes. 
and I don't think they've been back since. That's right, and that is a, a, a funny thing. I, I will tell you this. I, I, I felt before, and I think it, we said on the podcast, that whoever won the Boston-Columbus series, I thought was going to win the Cup. And now the Boston one, I, I, I think that they're going to be ones that wins the Cup. Yeah, Rask is just, yeah, you know, quietly, because we've had so much good goaltending around so many different places, and 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 much of it has been in the overtimes, too, yep. that people forget how good, not only good, but how consistent Rask has been all the way through. Absolutely. I think Rask has really pulled the, the Bruins through some series that uh, they easily could have not won. And Martin Jones with the Sharks was, I thought, oh, that's pedestrian. I mean, you know, first uh, three, four games of the playoffs, he was awful. Yes. And now now he's unbeatable. Yeah. And it just, and I thought that they were dead and done and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't playing well. And then he, I think a game against the Golden Knights stood on his head and that changed the entire uh, tone of his playoffs. So, yeah. All right, sir. Appreciate the time. Talk to you next week, Lunani. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Thanks. You too. Yeah, Take bye-bye. care. Bye bye.